0: Good morning. It's great to see everybody today. Like Ethan said, my name's Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here, and it's official. It's the Christmas season. It's begun. I know some of you got an early jump on it. I heard some people playing Christmas music at the beginning of November. To me, that's a little too early. I think we should wait till after Thanksgiving. I think that's what most people do. But once it's December, there's no denying it. It's Christmas. It's time to get out the lights and untangle them, or if you left them up from last year, just plug them back in It's time to get the tree out. It's time to make all those desserts and goodies that we love and prepare for all those gatherings. And actually, for a good number of us, it's time to turn on the TV and replay those Christmas classics that we either grew up watching or are near and dear to our hearts. This is actually one of the American Christmas traditions that's on the rise is watching Christmas movies. These are increasingly popular. And so what we're going to do in light of this tradition is, in this series, we're going to take a look at a few of these Christmas classics, and we're going to see what, what can we learn from this, and what, what might God say to us in our lives, and how we could apply this. Now, I'll admit that choosing these movies was more difficult than myself and the staff thought it was going to be. I thought we were just going to Google popular Christmas movies, and a universally agreed-upon list would pop up, and we'd say, okay, we're just going to do the top four on this list. But as we started to research this and figure out you know, what are the most popular Christmas movies, what is a Christmas classic, what we realized is all the articles and all the polls and all the opinions, really the only thing they had in common is they didn't agree. And also, a lot of them, I'll just be up front, I hadn't heard of a lot of these movies because a lot of them are like Hallmark Channel movies, and I don't really do the Hallmark Channel movie thing, so a lot of them I didn't really know. So if... If your favorite Christmas movie is not one of the four that we're going to discuss in this series, I'm sorry, maybe next year we can go through it, but these are the four that we subjectively landed upon. This is no definitive list of the top four. So today, we're going to kick this off, and we're going to look at the Dr. Seuss classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And a new version of this film was just released recently, so let's, uh, let's watch the trailer real quick, and then we'll dive into our message. So, a Grinch is a person that spoils or dampens the pleasure of others, so the chances are pretty high that each person in this room has at least one Grinch in their life. You might have two or three or even more. So, to help you kind of think of who this potential person might be, I want you to, in your brain, really quickly, Get who's, who do you think of when you think of a difficult person? Who's the first person that pops in your head? Maybe it's a person you most recently had conflict with. Okay, get them in your brain. Don't look at them. Don't write it down. Don't say it out loud. Don't, like, stand up and look across the room. Just get them in your brain. Okay, this is going to be a helpful exercise for where we're headed, but we all have them in our lives. It's easy to come up with them, and it's, you know, dealing with difficult people is just a reality of life, and whenever we're In a relationship or interacting with a difficult person, what we desire is we want there to be change because we want there to be peace, not conflict. We want When we interact with other people, we want there to be joy, not grinchiness. And so we conclude that if the other person really is the Grinch, then they're in need of some changing. They need to change so this relationship or this interaction can be what we want it to be. And actually... In the book, Dr. Seuss, he points to the real issue of what needs to change. What does he say the Grinch's problem is? That's right. It's his heart is two sizes too small. And then at the end of the story, as you go through the book, and it's in the movies as well, at the end of the story, then as the Who's would say, the Grinch Grinch goes from hating Christmas to loving it because that Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And actually, Dr. Seuss is correct. If change is going to take place, change has to take place inside the heart. That's where it it happens. It takes place inside the heart. And this means that only the individual can decide to change. And this is really tough for you and me because for you and me, as we're interacting with other people, we've come to the conclusion that, ah, this is a difficult person and we really want them to change. Usually what we do is we try to force them to change. We try to, to make them change, to make them interact or be the way that we would want them to be, to make them behave the way that we would want. And whenever we do this, we're just setting ourselves up for failure because God created the heart to be free. And so it'll protect itself from any attacks from the outside to try to change it. Think of the human heart, that, that place inside of us where we change. Think of that as a fortified bunker. The, the walls and the defenses will instantly go up to any unwanted attempts to breach it. It'll protect itself. And so if, if we're trying to change other people and trying to bring about an outcome that we want, we can just expect failure because that's not how life was created to work from God. But God actually says to us, he says, okay, but if, if you want to help somebody change, there's actually something you can do. Don't focus on changing them. Don't make them the issue. But he says there is an action that we can focus on that helps create an environment where they actually can change. And so what he tells us to do is he says, he says love the other person. That's not always the answer that we want to hear because we would like, okay, here's the five steps for that person to start acting exactly how you want. Here's the five steps to change the Grinch. That's what we want. We don't want the answer of love, but what we find is when Jesus teaches on this, and he has a lot to say, we find that often what he has to say, he's talking about, here's how you interact with somebody who's difficult, and here's how you create an atmosphere where they might freely choose to change. Because again, change is something only they can decide to do, because it takes place inside the heart. Jesus, for example, he's the one who gave us the golden rule. It says this in Matthew 7, 12. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, for in everything, do to others. What he's he's saying here is, hey, put yourself in their shoes. Think of the situation from their perspective, and then start to imagine, well, well, what would I want somebody to do if I was in that situation? In other words, what he's saying is, he's saying, love them. Take an interest in what they're interested in. Take what they care about seriously. Communicate that you value them with the way that you interact with them and the way that you talk to them. He's saying, hey, put yourself in their shoes. And it's no guarantee, but as you read through Jesus' teaching, he makes it really clear. If you make changing them the focus, if you're like, this person's the Grinch and they hate Christmas and I'm going to make this person love Christmas. If you make that the focus, failure is going to be your outcome. But if you make love the focus and you step back and you say, okay, how can I really do to them what I would want them to do to me? He says, hey, if you make that the focus, then it's no guarantee. But before you know it, they might actually start to change. So for you and me, as we have these difficult people in our lives, what are some practical ways that we can do this? What would it really look like to love the Grinch in your life? Well, thankfully, when Jesus teaches on this, he doesn't just give us these nice, saying te- nice sounding teachings of doing to others what you would have them do to you, but he gives us a lot of details on what that looks like. In the golden rule, it's important to notice the word so at the very beginning of verse 12. So what Jesus is saying is, I've just done all this teaching, and let me summarize it so do to others what you would have them do to you. So the golden rule actually is a summary of what he's just taught on in Matthew 7 verses 1 through 11. So if you and I go back and we read those, what we see is we see really three images of Jesus saying, okay, if you really want to put yourself in their shoes, if you really want to love them, then this is what you can practically focus on. It's not just something that sounds good and we put it on a gift card, but This is something that this will really give them the opportunity to freely decide to change. This will create an atmosphere of love. So what are these three things that we can do? Well, starting in Matthew 7, verse 1, where the golden rule is found in verse 12, we're going to start in verse 1 and make our way through. So Matthew 7, verse 1, the first thing we learn is you need to create an environment of relational safety. That's the first thing you learn. Create an environment of relational safety. If you want to help other people change, this is essential. It starts with you know, choosing to, hey, I'm going to create an environment here where the other person is safe. I'm going to really love them. This is what Jesus says at the very beginning of this passage. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. From the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What Jesus is doing here is he's just making a practical observation. He's not saying that all judgment is bad the word judge means to decide what's true. So Jesus isn't saying that that's wrong, we shouldn't do that. good judgment is something that you want in life. You want to be able to determine between what's true and what's false, and what's right and what's wrong. And if you're facing kind of a crossroad of decision, you want to be able to look at it and decide, okay, well, if I go this way, this would be really wise, but if I go this way, this would be really foolish. Good judgment is something you want. It'll save you from a lot of trouble in life. So Jesus isn't saying He's, saying, he's not saying, like, all judgment is bad. He's just pointing out a practical observation that in relationships, if you judge someone else, whether you're right or wrong, what do they do in response? They judge you back. And he says that the same way that you treat them, they're going to respond right back to you. The same measure you use is going to be how they respond to you. So you're critical of them. Well, what are they going to do to you in response? Well, they're going to be critical of you. You're unkind or harsh with them. What are they going to do in response? They're going to respond the same way. I mean, this, this happens in families all the time. I mean, just think about it. One person says, you know, what you said wasn't very nice. Well, the other person doesn't just go, you know what, you're right, I should change. No, the other person goes, please, what about that one time that you said dot, dot, dot? And it's just this back and forth. But Jesus is saying, hey, you judge someone, you, you become critical of them, you start to point all this stuff out. He's saying the counterattack is coming. It's only a matter of time where the same way that you did it to them, they're going to turn and they're going to do it to you. So he gives us an alternative. He paints a picture. He says, instead of doing that, here's something you could do. He says this in verse 3 of this passage. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, my wife and I, we recently had our third child, little girl, uh, baby Ivy. And um, she's our little Halloween baby, so she'll always have a really fun uh, birthday party when she's grown up. But this, this, uh, this illustration that Jesus gives, being a parent of young kids, this illustration that Jesus gives, I find really humorous. And um, one of the reasons is because there's something that kids do when they get around babies that you can pretty much always predict it's going to happen. What do kids do when they get around babies? They poke them in the eye. It's terrible, isn't it? I mean, it's like, welcome to the world, bam, a finger to the eye. Like, you just went through the trauma of birth, and now you're introduced to your older siblings, and they're trying to gouge your eyes out. I mean, it's terrible, but it's just like, instantly, you know that these kids are going to do it. First chance they get, mom and dad aren't looking, so boom, finger in the eye. And how do these babies respond? How do these infants respond when that happens? They respond the same way you or I would. They start screaming. They squeeze their eyes tight. They start to recoil and get away from it. I mean, they just, they hate it because the eye is sensitive. It's no place for anyone to just go poking around. And that's kind of the point that Jesus is making here is he's saying, hey, it's the same with the heart. I mean, with our eyes, our top concern is safety. It's actually the same way with the human heart. It's, it's sensitive. Our top concern is keeping our hearts safe. It's, it's no place to just let anyone go poking around. I mean, this is why you and me, I mean, h- let me just ask you, how many, how many relationships or friendships do you have where there's an environment of safety and you can, you can open up and be honest about who you really are and what's really going on in your life and what you really think and how you really feel? How many relationships do you have where you feel like you can really be honest about those things. I mean my guess is for the majority of you it's very few. And there's probably a bunch that it's it's actually zero. There's no one that you can really open up with and and be who you really are because when it comes to our heart, we want to keep it safe, we want to protect it. And our experience is kind of this culture of eye poking, you know, people just kind of walking around. I mean my kids, my kids might be quick to poke their little sister in the eye, my two older ones but do you think they're gonna let anybody get close to their eyes? No way. And this is kinda of how we are in relationships. I mean, we kinda of, kind of walk around and we're quick to point out the flaws in others, and, oh, this difficult person, and they're so, such a grinch, and you would never believe what they did. They hate Christmas. Can you believe that they hate Christmas? And on and on and on. And we're so quick to point those things out in other people. Actually, we would really prefer to do that. We'd really prefer to point out the problems in other people instead of turn the finger around and examine ourselves. And this is how we are, but the reality is as long as we're doing that, as long as we're just pointing out all the problems in other people, we're not safe. People don't change in that environment. People don't change in the environment where people are constantly critical and nitpicking and saying, oh, this person's the problem, and let me tell you X, Y, Z. People don't change in that. They put up their defenses. They're guarded. So if you and I are going to create an environment of relational safety, what's essential for people to change in How do you and I become safe people? Well, Jesus points it out here. He says it begins by turning the truth detector around and pointing at ourselves. It begins by examining ourselves. He says this. He says, first, he gives gives a, a progression of events. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. First, examine the sin in your life. Take your sin seriously. He says, and then, once you do that, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What he's saying is, he's saying, hey, if you want the other person to change, you change first. It, that's just a reality of how life works. I mean, yeah, we, we want the other person hates Christmas. Of course we want them to change. We want them to love it as much as we do. But what Jesus is saying, hey, it, it starts with you. It starts with you taking the sin in your life seriously and going to work on that. That's how you start to become a safe person. And this, this image Jesus uses of the, the plank and the speck, this is really important, and we, we shouldn't look over this. He's making a really important observation about sin. See, whenever there's, whenever there's sin that we encounter... Whatever spirit's in, we are quick to our first thought, and usually our only thought, is to blame another person. So if there is conflict at work, that's my boss's problem, or it's that coworker's problem. Or if there's difficulty in the marriage, it's my spouse's problem. Or if there's drama in the family, well, it's that Grinch's fault. And we're just so quick to just immediately look at and blame the other person. That's usually our first thing, but. When we do that, we're becoming the last person they feel safe around. See, safe people, the kind of people that create this environment where other people change in, safe people take their personal sin, they take it seriously, and they've spent a lot of time working on it. So they don't look at the, the problems in other people's lives, and they don't, they don't look down on that, and they don't, they don't judge it, and they don't d- get disgusted by what's going on in other people's lives because they've spent so much time that they realize, hey, there's not a lot of difference between me and you. I'm going through the same thing. I'm wrestling with the same thing. I've got the same kind of sin inside of my heart. And Jesus uses this image of a, a speck and a plank because the point he's making is the main difference in sin is size, not type. This is really important. We like to think that you know the problems in somebody else's life, oh, it's completely unlike anything going on in my life. What Jesus is saying is, hey, what's, what the, a speck and a plank, it's the same basic material. So that means is you and me, we don't want to admit this, but really what Jesus is saying is you and I, we can look at the sin in anyone else's life. Even the, even the big sins that end up on the news and even the ones, the, the heinous ones that make the history books. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, you, you can look at that and you can see the same basic materials are found inside of your heart. Yeah, you might not have let it grow to that extent, but it's still, it's found in your heart too. This is what a person who creates an environment of relational safety realizes. They realize, hey, you know what? Between me and you, there's not a big difference. You know, I've got the same sin in my life, and I'm working on it too. That's what a person who creates this kind of environment does. They realize the difference is size and not type. So to love the Grinch in your life, start with yourself. Here's a question you could ask yourself. Would you rather be helped by someone judging your sin or working on theirs? I know what I want. I know I, how I respond to the people who they just judge my sin, but they're not working on theirs versus the people who I really feel safe around. And think about your life. What would, what would you prefer? So create a safe environment, the first step. And actually what might happen is God might use you to help the other person change. They might really need to change, and God might really use you, but it will always start with you changing first. It'll always start with you addressing the sin in your life. Another thing that Jesus tells us to do in the very next verse, verse 6, is he says, hold on to your wonderful solutions for their lives. This is hard. This is really hard. He says, wait for there to be questions. Wait for there to be a desire on the other person's part. But hold on to those wonderful solutions. Don't just go spring those on them. He says this in verse 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Again, Jesus is talking about interacting with difficult people. So he's he's not calling names here. He's just making another practical observation. I mean, this is common sense. Dogs don't eat Bibles. Pigs don't eat pearls. The point that Jesus is making here is you can't, if somebody's not hungry for the truth, you can't force truth on them. So he's saying, so those wonderful ideas, hold on to those. Just keep those to yourself. Don't go trying to force those on somebody else to make them change. But this is hard because... They're the Grinch, and they hate Christmas, and we love Christmas, and their life would be so much better if they loved Christmas too, and my life would be so much better if they loved Christmas too, and I know just the thing that'll make them love Christmas. I mean, it's been revealed to me, and I know just how to make them love Christmas, so we think instead of holding on to that, we think, if I just say it a little more clearly this time, or maybe if I, you know, maybe if the the tone of my voice and there's a little more emotion and inflection, and you know, maybe if I'm a little louder, then maybe they'll get it and maybe they'll start to change. So we just try to keep, you know, maybe a different angle, but I can get this person to change. I can get this Grinch to love Christmas. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, you know what? You better watch out because that could really backfire on you. He gives a warning. He says, If you're not not careful and you keep trying to force your wonderful solutions, he says, they'll trample your wonderful insights and then they'll turn and they'll, they'll attack you because they don't want it. You can't force it on them. He created the heart to be free. It has all kinds of natural defenses that will keep itself from being forced to do anything. So when you try to fix someone or force them to change, you're actually working against the way that God created them to work the heart's going to counterattack judgment. It resents manipulation. It will fight back against being forced to do anything. So Jesus is saying, watch out, be careful. You know, in the story of the Grinch, the Grinch, as he tries to destroy Christmas, he doesn't encounter a bunch of people who had a bunch of wonderful ideas that would fix his life. Instead, the who's action in the story, it caused him to step back and think. It was counter to what he assumed. They didn't They didn't come at him with pitchforks and torches trying to catch him, but it says their actions, it says this, it says, and he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't thought of before. He was given freedom to step back and think and go, why are they behaving the way that they are? This doesn't make sense. And in that freedom, he had the choice to change. It wasn't being forced upon him, so he didn't have to to respond to being forced to do anything. He had the ability to think. Now, I'll warn you, sometimes it takes more than three hours. Sometimes it takes a while. But if you keep trying to force them, and this is so important to get, as long as we are are judging other people and being critical of them, and as long as we have these wonderful ideas and are trying to force them on the other people, then guess what? We're the problem. As long as we're doing this, and we're judging and pointing out the speck in somebody else's eye, and as long as we're trying to force these wonderful ideas, you know what Jesus would say? You're the Grinch. So now, instead of them having this environment of safety where they can choose to change, and instead of them having this space where they can really think and consider some different ways to live, and might even say, hey, would you help me with this? Now they've got to respond to something, and what they have to respond to is they've got to respond to you. So Jesus is saying, hey, when that happens, watch out says, hey, the warning he gives is, you know what? You judge them, they're going to judge you back. You poke them in the eye, guess what's coming? You're going to get poked in the eye. That's not an environment where people change. So hold on to those wonderful ideas for their life. Keep those in your pocket. That's what Jesus says to do. You know, Someone wise told me that the hand that gives out pearls of wisdom is often the hand that has given out other gifts. And the point is, is there's trust in the relationship there's been time and effort and thought put into, okay, what would be best for this other person, and how can I really communicate to them that I care about them? That's been put in, so this trust has been developed. So, you know, if you're, if you've got this person in your life, and you feel like, oh, I've got this wonderful solution, it actually might be a really good insight that could help them, but if they don't want to hear it, you know what, just keep it in your pocket, and well, what's something else you could do? Is there another way that you could communicate to them that you care for them? Is there another need that they have that you might be able to meet? You know, if you don't know what that is, then just start with the question. How can I help? Is there anything that you need? I mean, there are things we can't do. I mean, the Bible is very clear. You know, there are some things that we can't give to people, but there's a lot of stuff we can do that's really good for others. So just start with the questions. Here's a question you could ask yourself. Would you rather someone blast you with the truth Or would you rather someone wait for the right moment? I mean, I know what I would prefer. I would rather somebody wait for the right moment. And so as you're doing that, as you've got this, I've got this wonderful solution, as you're doing it, hey, just how can I develop trust? And you know what, again, God might give you the opportunity to share that, and it might really help them. But wait until they start to open up about, here are some struggles going on in my life, and this is some stuff I'm wrestling with. And wait for them to start to ask questions about, well, how did you deal with that? And then when, when you see these opportunities, they start to ask questions and they start to open up. Don't just spring on them and be like, for the last three years, I've been waiting to share this with you. In a very loving way, hey, you know what? I, I, was, I went through something similar. You mind if I share with you, you know, how God helped me in that situation? You know, Again, it's just, you're, you're, you've got that environment of safety, so keep that, that place where they're not going to be judged for sharing what's going on. But if God gives you opportunity That's great, but it's going to take time and you've got to develop trust first. And then as you're holding on to your wonderful idea and you're focused on building trust, then that leads us to the third thing that Jesus tells us to do. Jesus tells us to pray for them. He says when you're dealing with other people in difficult relationships, he's saying, hey, pray for them. This is one of the most powerful and important and overlooked things that we can do. He says this in verse seven of this passage. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now usually, this passage is kind of pulled out. It's taken a little bit out of context. And it's kind of, oh, I can ask for whatever I want. And he has to give it to me. Well, that's not what he's saying. Because remember, this, is, this isn't a standalone. This is in the context of dealing with difficult people. So he goes on. And he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, though there's still sin inside of your heart, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What he's saying is, hey, the reason you go to God in prayer is because you and I, we don't have the power to change people. The only one who has the power to soften a heart is God. So while we can't do it, we do have the power to go to God and say, hey, God, would you help in this situation? Would you go to work? And we can make our requests. And we're not just some random person just showing up to him asking for his help in a situation. He's referred to as our father. And what Jesus is saying is if your relationship has made, been made right with God by you placing your faith in Jesus, if that's happened, then you're God's son or you're God's daughter. And I'm a parent. I have kids. I have two daughters and I have a little boy. I know many of you are parents. How do you respond when your kids ask for stuff? You know, Do you respond with tricks like, you know, your daughter comes to you and Dad, I'm really hungry. <laughs> this is gonna be good. I'm gonna give her a rock to chew on. You know, even Jesus points out. He says, "You're, you, you know, there's sin in your heart, and you don't respond that way." So he's saying, "Why would your Why would your heavenly Father respond that way?" He's saying, "He wants to give good gifts. So go and he's saying, ask him. You know, there's not peace in the relationship. Ask him. God, would you allow there to be peace? There's not joy. God, would you allow there to be joy? Would you help with this? God, I'm really struggling." not judging them, and you know I'm really struggling looking at what's going on in my life. Would you really help me to turn and, and examine myself? He's saying, hey, g- start and, and get the conversation started. Go to the one who really has the power and ask him for help in the situation. There's a lot in the New Testament about About a lot of interesting comments about the connection between prayer and conflict in relationships. It's really fascinating to study through some of it. And in James chapter 4, one of the verses on it, this is what it says in James 4, 1 through 3, it says, "'What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires the battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives.'" that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is making a really interesting point here. He's saying, hey, all that stuff that goes on in the relationships, all that stuff that you, all the stuff you bicker and argue over, you get in those quarrels or you get in those disputes and those fights and it starts to divide you, all the way, that stuff all the way up to the really extreme cases where people kill each other. He says, all that stems from desires inside of you. And the reason there's all that conflict going on with other people is you're looking to them to meet and satisfy those desires instead of coming to me. He's saying, hey, you you know, you're sitting there going like, I really want to be happy this Christmas. So I need that Grinch to behave themselves. And if they won't behave themselves, then I'm not going to have a good Christmas. So I really, I need them to be under control this year. And so we're looking at other people thinking other people, if they would just do this or if they would just do that or if they would just not show up, then maybe then we would be happy. He's saying it's because we're not going to God. We're not going to God to get those desires met And then he adds to that. he throws this in there and he says, when you ask he says you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. This is really interesting to me. I again, I've got three kids I've got one that's almost four, one that's two, and then the newborn. And with the older two, they, they've been doing something interesting of late that my wife and I have been catching on to. And one of, you know, one or both of them will every once in a while just kind of, you know, casually walk out into the living room and my wife and I'll be sitting there. And they'll make a request on behalf of the other sibling. And it's usually like, Mom, will you, will you put Cohen down for a nap? Or it might be the opposite. It might be, Mom, will you turn on the TV for Olivia? And it's such an interesting request, and we're like, what in the world is this request that they're making? So we started to dig and ask questions, and usually what it turns out is there's a toy that they both want to play with. And so they come to the conclusion, I mean, it's pretty clever, they come to the conclusion, you know what? If I could just get rid of my sibling, then I could play with this toy by myself. So, hey, mom, would you, would you put them down for a nap? I mean, it's pretty clever. It's, hey, would, would you just get rid of this other person? And... Sometimes that's kind of what our prayers can be like. That, God, I really, really want to be happy this Christmas. So my first request is that other person, that Grinch, would you change them? But if you can't change them, I don't want it to be too severe, but would you just keep them from not showing up this year so I can really enjoy Christmas? It's It's really selfish. It's really all about us and what we want. But, I mean, as a parent with my kid... I mean, I want my kids to learn to be kind. I want them to share. I want them to work together and to get along. So sometimes, you know what, when there's only one toy, that's a great opportunity for my my daughter and my son to learn something that's going to help them later in life. To learn teamwork, to learn patience to learn, okay, I'm going to let you play with it now because it's your turn, and I'm just going to sit back and wait or find something else to do. And man, that's, a, that's a great character quality that's going to really benefit them further down the road. So instead of me just going like, you know what, I'm just going to pluck them out of this situation, sometimes as a parent, okay, how can we, how can we work through this? How can we navigate this so that, so that this really benefits you and that you really grow? So sometimes we're sitting there, we're saying, God... I feel like in this relationship, you gave me a snake or you gave me a rock. You gave me something really difficult, and I didn't ask for this. And if you feel that way, God can handle it. Be honest with him. Tell him that. But it says he's not out to trick us. He's not sitting up there in heaven going, check this out. I just put a grinch in their life. Let's watch. This is going to be good. He's not doing that. He's not mean and trying to trick us. So then the question for us is, okay, God, I, this is really hard for me. But God, instead of me just thinking of only what I want, would you help me to partner with you here? Because I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what you're trying to focus on in my life. I don't even know what's going on in the other person's life fully. So instead of me getting in the way and just pursuing what I want and trying to change the other person, would you help me to work with you here? So God, if there's sin in my life, would you reveal that to me? and help me to go to work on that? If I need to create an environment of safety where the other person can start to change, would you really help me with that? Would you give me self-control? I'm really struggling with holding my tongue and not saying what I think. Would you give me self-control? Would you help me, God? You're asking him, God, help me to partner with you in what you're trying to do here, instead of just, God, this is what I want, so I need you to do X, Y, and Z. There's a big difference. I mean, just, just think about it. When, when it comes to you, would you rather someone tell you everything wrong with you, or would you someone who prays for you? I mean, what would you prefer when it comes to, let's say you're the difficult person. Would you rather someone tell you everything, or would you rather somebody go to God and pray for you and ask God to soften your heart and put you in a position where you really might change and help them really think of how to love in the process? So as we wrap up, how can you love the Grinch in your life this Christmas? Well, again, Jesus says it, Matthew 12, Matthew 7, verse 12, he says, "...so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets." So what does this look like? What is it going to look like this Christmas if you're going to love those difficult people? Well, it's going to start by creating an environment of relational safety. You've got to become a safe person. That starts by taking the sin in your life seriously. And then those wonderful solutions that you have, those pearls of wisdom that would be so helpful to them, just hold on to them. Just wait until until they're ready, until there's interest or a desire. Hold on to those. And then, in the meantime, pray for them. Ask God to do a work. Ask God to help you really partner with Him. Ask God to work on your life, too. Go to Him. Go to the one who really has the power to soften a heart. So let's pray. Father God, as we head into this Christmas season, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to live this out. God, probably even today, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So I ask that as your people that you would help us in this area. I pray that we, we really would think of how can I love in this situation. The golden rule is clear. Do unto others as you would have them do to you, but God, that is so hard. So would you help us to think of what we can do to create a safe environment? Would you would you shine a light on stuff we can, we can focus on in our lives, the sin we can work on instead of making the other person the issue? God, would you, would you help us to bite our tongues and to build trust in the meantime and not just go share all of our opinions of what we think would be good for other people? And then, God, I pray that we would be faithful to just come to you again and again and again and ask for help and ask for you to work and ask that you would use us in the situation. God, we thank you for your clarity. Jesus name amen